This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. All right, good morning, everybody. It's good to see everybody here this morning and be able to worship with you. Uh, what I've chosen to speak to you on this morning's um, something that we may not uh, consider a lot in our time and in our community, and that's the sin of idolatry. Uh, oftentimes when we think of idolatry, we think about the Old Testament examples that we have of the children of Israel uh, that fell into this over uh, just off and on. They would fall back into the sin of idolatry and they would repent of it and then back into idolatry. Uh, and we'll look at that and we'll look at examples of, of places that Paul and others traveled that had uh, idols that worshipped idols and still today there's there's idolatry in that sense uh, in the world we don't see that too much in the United States but I submit to you this morning that idolatry is alive and well in the United States in our culture unfortunately and we'll see that as we go through this lesson but I'll, again I'll start uh, in Exodus chapter 20 verses 4 to 6 and this is after the children of Israel had been led out of Egypt. Uh, they had been uh, freed by God. And God is giving them commandments here. And one of the things that He wanted out of them, He wanted to make sure that they didn't worship other gods. Exodus 20, starting at verse 4, says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. So we see here that, you know, it's obvious it's always been God's desire that his people worship him and put nothing before him. And we see here that he says that he is a jealous God. In other words, he's not going to take a back seat to anybody or anything. God demands that we put him first in our lives. And, and here he's specifically talking about other gods, idols. And, and we know the story of, of the children of Israel. And, and, and we'll read that where uh, they worshipped a golden calf shortly after this point. And if you'll remember, just to put it in context, they had just been freed from the bondage of the Egyptians. They had cried out to God. He had heard them. He delivered them. We know that Moses was called to be their leader. Uh, the ten plagues that the children of Israel saw, they saw these performed. They knew good and well where it was from because Moses and Aaron had made it well known to Pharaoh why these plagues were occurring. They saw the death of the firstborn. They kept the Passover to keep their children safe. And then finally Pharaoh released them. Uh, they saw the pillar of fire. They saw the Red Sea part. They walked on dry ground. Just think about that. Put all this in your mind. And then what do they do while Moses is up in the mountain getting these commandments? Exodus 32, starting at the first verse, says, And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods, which shall go before us. 
For as this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what is become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the, ear, the, off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after, after he had made a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Now just think about that. After all the things that, that the children of Israel saw and, and obeyed Moses, obeyed God, and then this is what they do with it. Now just think about this in Exodus chapter 11, verse 2. While they were still in Egypt, God gives them this commandment. He says, Speak now in the ears of the people, and let every man borrow of his neighbor and have every woman of her neighbor jewels of silver and jewels of gold. So what he's doing here is before they're leaving Egypt, he tells them all, Go borrow all this gold and silver from all your neighbors. And what that was going to be for, in my opinion, that was kind of a spoil for them. That was maybe a reparation, you might call it, but they was about to leave out. They weren't going to give those back. And God told them, you take those, and you take them with you. And so my assumption is that he intended for those to be a blessing to them so they would have some wealth as they came out of Egypt because they were slaves. Now, I don't know if that was all the gold that they had. I don't know if that was even part of it, but I assume that at least some of that blessing that God intended for them to have in that gold that they took uh, was from his command and I assume that that was some that they made into a golden calf so just think about that they took uh, this gold which was to be their wealth and they fashioned it into a God and they worshiped this God and we see that and we wonder well how could they do that how could they be so blind to take a blessing from God and just take anything it doesn't matter what it is and fashion it into something and call it a God and worship it. But you know that sin still remains and it's, it's easy for us to fall into that trap if we don't watch it as well. Now of course there's, there's all kinds of other idols and we'll look at some of those here in a minute. But we wonder well why is it that mankind worships something other than God? Well let me submit this to you. It's in mankind to worship something. I believe that God has placed that in us. And here's why I believe that. You know, when you look at creation, God created everything. He created the land, the seas, all the animals, the plants, the stars, the sun. And when you consider everything that He created and what all of those things do, everything worships God. Everything does exactly what God created it to do. The stars shine at night like he made them to do. The sun shines in the day like he made it to do. The birds, the trees, everything. And the, the example I often use is uh, when the kids were little, we decided to build some bluebird houses. And so I bought a little bit of lumber and I had them cut it and they nailed it together and we drilled a hole in it the right size for the bluebird, you know, and we screwed it to a wooden post early in the spring, maybe late winter, and you know what, when the spring come, we walked by it and a little bluebird flew out. 
And so I'd hold them up there and they'd look in and they was building their little nest. They'd have their, you know, grass and twigs and whatever they could find. They was building this nest and before long you'd see this little clutch of eggs in it. And then they would hatch those out and so on and so forth. Been, been like that for years, same bluebird houses. Nobody taught those bluebirds to do that. Nobody had to show them. God put, them, put that in them to do that. He put it in the bees to pollinate all the flowers, to produce the fruit. God created all these things and they do that. Everything does as it should, except one, and that's mankind. Sometimes we don't worship God the way we're supposed to. And what is the duty of man? Ecclesiastes 12 and 13 tells us, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. It is our duty to keep God's commandments, to love Him, to put Him first, to act the way we're supposed to act, to treat others the way we're supposed to treat others. And in doing that, we're worshiping Him. But we fail at that, don't we? But I say this to make the point that it makes sense to me that God has put it in us to worship Him. We know that there's a higher power. We know that there's something that we should answer to. And everybody answers to something. Everybody has a higher power that they look to. They may not admit it, but they have a God of some sort. And we need to make sure it's the true God. And again, we often think of this uh, idolatry as these, these figures, these statues, the real physical things that we see. And you might think of uh, Paul when he was traveling around in his ministry. Let's read Acts chapter 17 starting at verse 22. And we see how people can worship something. They had it in them to worship something, but they were worshiping the wrong thing, right? And that's what he's pointing out to them. Acts chapter seven, 17, uh, Paul's just come into Athens, and he, he goes into the city, and he sees all these temples and these statues or whatever it was and these inscriptions uh, to all of these different gods that the Athenians were worshiping. And he comes by this one, the unknown God. Notice what he says here, verse 22. It says, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye, now, uh, ye, worship ignor ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. So they, they had so many gods that apparently they thought, well, we may have missed one, so we're going to make this altar to an unknown god. And Paul uses that and says, you know what, this is the god that I'm going to declare unto you, the one that you don't know. You're worshiping all these things, and these are false gods, but this is the one you should be worshiping. You know, it was in those people at Athens to worship something, and they were trying. They were just doing it all wrong. And you can look through, uh, you may think of uh, those who've went over to India in the past and come back with these pictures. I always think of this monkey god. It's like this little statue on a building and this monkey. And they worship these things. And you can look at through time in all different lands. There's always been something that people worship. Uh, the Native American Indians, uh, those down in Peru, you know, all these different cultures have worshipped different things because it was in them to do that. 
But again, it's not just these idols that we worship, that we can be guilty of idolatry with. To show that, let's look at uh, Mark chapter 10. We'll start at verse 17. And if you're familiar with this story, this is the, uh, the account of the rich young ruler uh, that Jesus talked with. And this may be kind of an odd place to go on a, uh, a sermon about idolatry, but bear with me. And I'll show you that this man uh, was actually, his sin was idolatry. Mark chapter 10, starting at 17, it says, And when he was gone forth into the way, that's being Jesus, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy fa father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Now let me stop there a minute. So what Christ did here, you know, this man comes to him, this man's a Jew. And, and he comes to him, what, may I, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Or in the other uh, accounts, what good thing must I do that I may inherit eternal life? Inherit eternal life? And uh, Jesus said, you know the commandments. And he lists them off. He doesn't list, he's listing the Ten Commandments. He doesn't list all of them. He doesn't list the ones that deal with man's relationship to God. And then he also doesn't list covetousness thou shalt not covet and he leaves that one out on purpose that's because covetousness was this man's problem that was his sin that he was committing he was guilty of that now it's all these others he was innocent of seemed like he was a good man otherwise because Christ doesn't rebuke him for that he says all these things I've observed from my youth continue on in verse 21 then Jesus beholding him loved him and said unto him one thing thou lackest Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Now again, the, he tells him to do that because he's covetous. That was his one problem. That was the one thing that came between him and God. And I wish I had only one problem in my life to take care of that sometimes gets between me and God. But he said there is one thing. Verse 23, And Jesus looked round about and said unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answereth again and said unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. So again, this seems like an odd place to go for a sermon on idolatry, but let me, let me hit some other scriptures and then we'll back up and we'll cover this rich young ruler again. As I stated, the, the sin that this rich young man was committing was covetousness. You know, he had lots of possessions, and he loved those possessions, and he wanted to keep those possessions. He didn't want to part with them. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 10 tells us about money. 
and covetousness for money. And this is really probably one of the most misquoted scriptures in the Bible. It says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You know, I've heard all my life, before I knew better, people would say, well, money's the root of all evil. It's not. Money's not the root of all evil. Money's just a, a way that we can transfer goods and services, put a, a, an amount on it so we can trade between ourselves. That's all money is. The scripture says that the love of money is the root of all evil. And notice it, this. It says, while some covet it after that desire to gain it, says they have erred from the faith. Paul here in his, in his uh, letter to Timothy, he's speaking about Christians. He says they've erred from the faith because they have began to covet after this money. They began to desire this money. Now why is that such a big deal? Colossians 3 and 5, when you add this in here, Paul writing to the church at Colossae, he says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Notice that. He said that covetousness is idolatry. Wanting this money, uh, desiring this money, is worshiping this money. It's getting between us and God. Now, you know, we often, um, there's kind of a push to, uh, in our culture, to look down on rich people, to hate rich people. There's, there seems to be this push for a class warfare. And there's no need for that. You know, it, it doesn't matter. Somebody may gain uh, wealth in a totally honest way, whether through business dealings or inheritance or whatever it is. Now, just think about this. If it's so evil to be rich, well, what if you have some rich kinfolk you don't even know, and that person dies and leaves you a lot of money. Are you all of a sudden evil because you have that? Well, of course not. But if you covet that sort of thing and you desire that and that's your main goal in life, then that's idolatry. That's the evil part of it, right? And let me submit this to you that you don't even have to be rich to be covetous. You can desire a, a house or a car or or whatever it is, and never gain that, but still be covetousness, still be covetous, and that is idolatry. And why is that? In Matthew 6, starting at verse 19, this is Christ in his Sermon on the Mount. He speaks about we should be laying up treasures in heaven. That's where our treasures should be. Matthew 6, verse 19 says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Notice that. Wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. That's your desire. That's what your focus is. And in verse 24, he says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Now that term mammon doesn't just mean money. It, it has that in it, but really what it means is an avarice or an insatiable desire for wealth. It has that connotation to it that you're desiring that wealth. That's what mammon is. 
And he tells us, Christ tells us himself, he said, you cannot serve God and serve an insatiable desire for wealth. You're going to choose one or the other. And wherever your treasure is, whatever you're focusing on, wherever your heart is, that's where your treasure is. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Okay? Now, back to the rich young ruler. With all that said, this rich young ruler, again, he was not a bad guy in the sense that we would think of. He was probably a good neighbor. But he had this problem of covetousness, right? And just consider, just consider what he asked our Lord. He said, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? He's asking for a home in heaven. He's a Jewish man. He knows that there's a heaven. He knows that there's a good place and a bad place. He knows that he's going to live forever somewhere. I mean, we can assume that because he's a Jew. But he asked him, what may I do that I may inherit eternal life? And, of course, Christ looks into his heart, sees he has this idolatry problem of covetousness, and he says, go sell all that you have. Now, I've often wondered, I used to wonder, why did he tell him to sell everything? Why didn't he just say, you know, give away all, of the, all your excess, keep enough to live on, you know, don't, don't covet after that stuff. Why didn't Christ tell him that? Well, let me put it this way. When you look at it from the perspective of idolatry, if this young man had been an, an idol worshiper and like literally little idols, you know, that some used to represent their gods, and let's say he had 10 of those, and say that was his only problem. It was idolatry. But he came to Christ and he had these 10 idols laid out there and he said, you know, good master, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Do you think Christ would have looked at him and said, well, get rid of about eight or nine of those idols and come and follow me. No, he wouldn't have done that. He would say, you got to get rid of all ten of those idols because you're worshiping those. You can't have those. That's another God. you got to get rid of all those and worship the true God. Now think about that with the, the money, the goods, the land, whatever he had that was made his wealth. That's why Christ tells him, you got to sell everything you got because that's your idol. That's what you're worshiping. Get rid of all of it. Give it to the poor. Come and follow me. That's why he told him that. And I don't know the, where he went from here. The last time we see him, what did he do? What, what image do we have? He walks away. He says, uh, we're told he answered. Uh, sorry. Uh, and he was sad at that saying and went away grieved he had great possessions. Now remember, he asked for eternal life. Christ tells him, sell everything you have, and the man walks away sad at that response. So at this point, what is he choosing? It seems that he's choosing, he's going back to that, that stuff, that wealth. It seems that that's what he's choosing and walking away from Christ. I don't know, hopefully he turned away from that and, and he sold it all like Christ told him and started following Christ. I don't know. But he made that choice, it seems. It was either God or his possessions. And, and the Christ's disciples, they didn't understand. They were astonished, it says, at these sayings. Uh, when Christ says, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? They couldn't understand that. Well, what's so wrong about being rich? And he answers them in verse 24. He says, how hard is it for them that trust in riches? 
to enter into the kingdom of God. That was the problem, is this young man was trusting in this riches the way that he should be trusting in God. But he does say there in verse 27 after he tells about the camel going through the eye of a needle, he says, with men is it, imposs- it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. What he's saying is if we choose God and we follow God and we obey Him, then rich man can get into the kingdom of God only through God and following Him. So we see that money or wealth, the desire for wealth, is an idol. It is covetousness is idolatry. Uh, But there are many other things that unfortunately we can worship and in our culture many people do uh, and we need to be careful for. And one of those I'd like to point out, uh, we can worship men, mankind, we can worship ourselves if we're not careful. Uh, There's a, a philosophy, you might say, a way of life called hedonism. I don't know if you've heard that term or not, but all that means, uh, it can be defined as the the ultimate goal of man is self-pleasure, fulfill our own desires. It's the lust of the flesh is what it is. And and some people live by this, uh, and it usually uh, is in the form of sexual desires, is usually the way it's manifested, but the goal is self-pleasure, and that's the ultimate a uh, place a person can be, the, the ultimate goal in life is whatever makes us feel good. And some people uh, subscribe to this form of life, this hedonism, and it is evil. Now we can, we can read in Romans 1, verses 20 to 32. Uh, you know, we read this a lot here lately because it's not talking about our culture. It's talking about the fall of the Gentiles way back when but it is so similar to what's going on in our nation. We're seeing our society uh, in a downward spiral the same way that is described here in Romans chapter 1. And as we read through this, just keep this in mind, this hedonism, this this goal, this lust of the flesh that so many uh, hold to. Romans 1 verse 20 says, For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Notice that. They, they put God out of their mind. They weren't thankful. They didn't retain Him in their knowledge. And then they started worshiping things. Images, these idols, uh, birds, four-footed beasts, creeping things, that sort of thing. Verse 24, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own heart to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature, 
And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burning their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind, to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who know in the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Now, a lot of things in there... Uh, you can see that after they, after they put God out of their mind, it says that they went over and started worshiping creatures, started making these images. And then it says that uh, God also gave them up to the lust of their own hearts. And then they start, uh, says they worshiped the, and served the creature more than the creator. God gave them up to vile affections. And we see here that it's speaking... Uh, about homosexuality, they began into that. And it says in verse 28 that they were given over to a reprobate mind. And that term reprobate mind means one that's um, worthless or void, one that's been put away. God just lets them go. And you know, I look, I think about, when I think about uh, how God gives them over to this or, you know, they have a reprobate mind. You know, the rich young ruler, have you ever considered uh, that, that when he was walking away, Christ had told him, you need to sell everything you have, give it to the poor and follow me. And that man walked away sad. What did Christ do as he was walking away? Did he stop him? Did he say, no, 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 I, I guess you don't have to give it all away. You, you can give part of it away, just follow me. He didn't do that, did he? When, when that rich young ruler didn't follow what Christ said, Christ let him go. He let him walk away. And you know, God will let us walk away from him as well. He'll let his creation, and I'm speaking about mankind in general, Christians, it don't matter where you're at. If we walk away from God and disobey him and turn away from him, he'll let us go. And that's what he's saying here is he gave them over to a reprobate mind. If we start fulfilling those lusts of the flesh and, and that's our main focus in life, this hedonistic approach, he'll let us go. He won't have any part of that, remember? He won't take a back seat to anybody or anything. Now, another thing I'll briefly touch on, uh, it, it lists here in Romans 1 all these different sins. Uh, get down to verse 31, there's this phrase, without natural affection, okay? Um, I believe there's a... a I believe that one thing that, that could be referring to, which was common at the time and common now, is this, uh, this problem we have with abortion. Now, if you consider natural affection, there's no greater form of natural affection than a mother has for a child, right? And when a child, if, you, if you've ever noticed when a woman gets pregnant, when she, she finds out, uh, oftentimes we'll say that, that she's glowing. Have you ever noticed that? I've, I've saw that before. A woman got pregnant. She was so happy, and her face lit up, and she, you know, 
it was the love within her because she found out that she had this child. And we know that, that, that life starts at conception. You know, you think of John the Apostle, or excuse me, John the Baptist, uh, when he was in his mother's womb and when Mary, Mary got close and Christ was in his mother's womb, that John leapt, he leaped within her womb because the presence of Christ was near and that was his duty was to proclaim Christ. He was alive, right? There's a natural affection we have for our children, but if that natural affection is lost, then we won't mind taking that life, right? And unfortunately, we see that so much and we see a fight for that so much and it's so discouraging to see that, that people don't have that natural affection for their children or, and are willing to end their lives. Uh, I believe that's one thing that that could apply to without natural affection. And it's very unfortunate to see that in our culture today. Uh, so, again, the, the lust of the flesh, this hedonistic lifestyle, that, that's a form of idolatry and it's very prevalent today. Uh, it's being promoted very heavily today and obviously we need to avoid that at all costs, have no part of that. Uh, another one I'll just briefly mention is humanism. Uh, that's, uh, I think that's being promoted a lot today and that's uh, instead of hedonism where it's the lust of the flesh, humanism's trying to promote society and uh, making the ultimate goal of life to make a better society here on earth. And, and there's different versions of humanism, but just for this example, I'll use it that way, that, that definition. But, um, you know, the problem with that is it depends on who's making those rules what kind of society somebody really wants. You know, Adolf Hitler had his mind of a perfect society, but to get that perfect society, he had to execute millions of people, okay? So we can't look at anything in this world like that and say, well, our ultimate goal is something here, because it's not, it can't be. That becomes an idol to us when we put anything in the place of God or any our life's goal, anything except pleasing God. Because what is our whole duty of man? To love him and keep his commandments. Now other things that can be um, become an idol to us is family or other people. And unfortunately this can happen. Uh, Christ speaks of this. Matthew 10 verse 34 Starting at verse 34, he says, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now, in no way is Christ telling people that you can't have kids, you can't have a family, you can't love your mother, father, children. He's not saying that. It all comes down uh, to verse 37. He that loveth them more than me is not worthy of me. If we put that person, if we hold anybody, ourselves or any of our family or whatever, in a higher position than God, then that person becomes our God and that becomes an idol. We may not look at it that way, but that's really what it is. That's the God that we're serving because they're up there where God should be. And that's what Christ is warning against. He says, you, you can't have anybody ahead of me. 
He says, I have got to be everything. That's the whole duty of man. And again, we shouldn't put away our family. I, I've heard it very unfortunately. Um, this group of scriptures, along with your treasures in heaven, that group of scriptures, people say that, well, I just can't have anything to do with my family anymore because I love them so much. Well, no, you can have everything to do with your family because God tells us to love them. God tells us to take care of them, to honor your father and your mother. You just can't put them above God. That's where the problem is. So there's so many things that, and, and many more, that's all the list I have as far as studying it through completely or, or to any extent, but, but when we consider an idol and we consider what it is, I've just got a few things here, uh, maybe a checklist, and there, there's other things that we could add to this, just things that uh, would make something our idol. First of all, whatever occupies our mind. You know, God tells us we're supposed to meditate upon His Word. That's supposed to occupy our mind. Think of good things. Think of the godly things. If we put anything else there that constantly occupies our mind, it can be an idol to us. The thing that controls our actions or how we live. You know, a lot of people look to different things and, and they base their life on something other than God. And that can become our God. We know that His Word is supposed to control our actions, control how we live. He gives us the example. Whatever defines our morality, we know that God has defined our morality. He showed us how to live. Whatever sets our standard, Christ is our standard. He showed us in the flesh how to act, how to walk, how to deal with people. But if we put something else there, if we set our standard another way, that can become an idol because that's what God's supposed to do. Whatever we trust in, just as Christ told us that he that trusts in riches uh, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. If we trust in anything other than God for our salvation or for our ultimate goal in life or whatever it is, we're putting that in the place where God is supposed to be. And that can include other people. It can include our hobbies, our job, sports, social media, the web. That's, uh, that's a big problem these days for a lot of folks is being engulfed in that. Uh, homes, animals, politics, uh, political movements like climate change, just global warming. And I'm not talking about, you know, the earth changes, the climate changes. We can see that, but, but there's a lot of people that their actions, all the things in their life is controlled by this thought of climate change. That's what they're answering to. Will this hurt the world? Will this, you know, I can't, I can't buy that car because it might destroy the atmosphere, whatever. You know, there's all kinds of things that we can look to and we can put on a, a higher level than what they need to be. Anything we put in the place where God is supposed to be can become an idol to us. And we need to be careful of that. And as Christians, we need to always stay focused on God. And, and again, he told us there, he said, with God, it is possible. With God, it's possible to get into heaven and to be forgiven and, and to follow him. And we need to keep that in mind. 
that's my lesson for this morning. I hope it's been beneficial. Uh, if there's any questions or comments, you can get with me after the service. Uh, but at this time, as is custom, we'll offer invitation to anyone in need of our Lord. Maybe you have something that's got between you and God, uh, whatever it is. If you need the prayers of the church, we'll pray with you. We'll pray for you. Uh, if there's anybody who needs to obey the gospel, uh, we will help you with that if you've been sufficiently taught. If you haven't been sufficiently taught, we can teach you. It won't take very long. We'll tell you everything you need to know to obey the gospel and to become a Christian and be forgiven of your sins. Uh, for either of, of these, any problem that you have, anything you need from the church, just come forward, sit on the front as we sing the song that's been selected. Let us know what you need. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.